You're listening to a resource from Alpine Bible Church. Alpine Bible Church exists to know Christ Jesus together and to make Him known. We are located in Sugar Creek, Ohio. For more information, visit our website at alpinebible.org. May Jesus be glorified in your life. A little bit cold out there today, all week. But uh, hopefully your heart is warm, or at least will be, and uh, we're going to get in the Word here. So Matthew chapter 3, if you make your way there. We have a cheering section over here behind the wall. It's fantastic. I always appreciate their enthusiasm for when I get up here. It's great timing. Yeah. Yeah. If, if you would do that, what an exciting place this would be, all right? On the count of three. Oh, yeah, there we go. Oh, yeah, yeah, give it back to them. Come on, yeah? Yeah. When they pray, we'll get really loud, all right? So, yeah, we'll do that. All right. <laughs> it is great to hear that, isn't it? In church? It's fantastic. We're... Uh, in Matthew 3, I wanted to just continue through this text, as Nick had said, and just uh, kind of get into what I titled this little series, First Things First. Uh, it's uh, always important to do things in a right way. Uh, this whole transition, this is a text about transition. It's the uh, uh, shifting from living by the law, uh, which uh, uh, Jews all live by the, uh, by, the, by the law of God, the moral law, the code, so the Ten Commandments plus many other commandments that were uh, placed upon them, and they lived by this. Uh, the measure of your righteousness was if you could keep the law, and when you didn't, you had to have sacrifices made on your behalf and try to reinstate yourself with God through those sacrifices and sincere heart and so on. Uh, but uh, we knew that Jesus was coming. That's, we, we look back, so we know the story, but at the time they didn't know. And so uh, John the Baptist was uh, f- prophesied that someone would come, and we're going to read those scriptures this morning, but he was going to come, and his job was to transition people from understanding that uh, obedience to the law is good, but that's not going to get you into heaven. We can never be as good as God. We can never be as righteous as He is. He is perfect. So His law uh, is, represent, is a representation of His perfect nature. So He puts a standard out there and says, this is the standard by which you can get into heaven. Well, you know, on our own, trying to keep that standard is absolutely impossible, but we strive to do that. Uh, and obviously in the Old Testament, God gave grace to that, and so He allowed for sacrifices to be made so that when you did mess up, when you did sin, you fell short of the law, you could come to have your sins forgiven through that sacrifice, and God would measure your heart and your sacrifice, and forgiveness was given, but that had to be continuous. Uh, so uh, obviously uh, that, that continuation of that in our fallen nature, there's no way we can just maintain being perfect uh, till the day we die, until the day uh, we might go to heaven based on that. So something had to happen to bridge the gap and to obviously bring us to a state of righteousness where we can say, I have confidence that today I live in Jesus Christ, the one who gave his life for me, and I have no shadow of a doubt that I'm forgiven and I'm going to heaven. I can base that on what is going to happen in our text, but hasn't yet happened. So Matthew is coming to bridge the gap between that law and the one who's going to come to pay the price for all sin and allow us to have once and for all forgiveness from God. 
It's a great story. But then what does it do for us? How does it relate to us? So let's read the story and see how we can uh, sort of follow along and apply these things to our own life. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who has spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight. That's from Isaiah chapter 40. So in the Old Testament, this was prophesied that someone would come, a single voice would come. He would be uh, uh, sort of representing himself in the wilderness. He wasn't going to be in the city of Jerusalem. He's going to be in the wilderness, and he's going to have this message, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Really, in other words, get your life right, the Lord's coming. John, uh, now John himself was clothed in camel's hair. I really don't know what that means. I mean, uh, I know what a camel looks like. Uh, so if you slay a camel and you strip that leather down, I, I don't know if he had the short hair or the long hair on a camel. I'm not really sure how, or maybe he had tassels. I, I don't I really know how it looks. I'm sure it wasn't tailor-made, and I'm sure it was pretty weird, okay, uh, to say the least. So John comes in this garb of uh, wearing camel's hair, clothing of camel's hair. Uh, it must have been unique. I don't think anyone else dressed like this. He had a leather belt around his waist that says, His food was locust and wild honey. I still have a fresh memory of speaking at a camp in Wisconsin. And the, uh, the guy that w- was a nature guy, so he took students on nature trips, showed them how to do things, how to survive in a wilderness and so on. And they, all week long he's showing them different things. And one of the things he did was, uh, he uh, ate locusts, and he ate honey, and he ate uh, grasshoppers, and he ate snakes, and all that stuff. And so every day you had to eat something different. His name was Peter Bonovich. He was a strange bird. Uh, and, of course, if you're going to eat that kind of stuff, you are strange. I mean, let's face it. But So this is what John the Baptist is doing. And uh, obviously, and by the way, I did taste some of those things, and they weren't that bad. If you, uh, And there's a store in Coshocton that we go to, and I have bought candy for some of the people here in the church. Uh, and, and it's really gross stuff. It's in jars, and you can get like spiders uh, coated in uh, honey and sugar and all that. And uh, uh, they had larvae in there. You can get it's it's good stuff. It's all protein, you know. And they sell it in a store in Kashokton. I welcome you to go buy some. Don't buy me any though, because I I like to give it. I do not like to receive it. Okay. John is uh, eating uh, eating locusts, and no one likes locusts, so I guess he's doing a favor to the nature uh, to the culture by eating locusts and wild honey. So this giving us a description of this guy who's not normal. He's a bit different, uh, completely out of context to anyone else's life. Uh, and he appears in the wilderness and he has a message. So it says, then Jerusalem, watch verse 5. Then Jerusalem, all Judea, and all the region around the, the Jordan went out to him. So they're going north of, of, of Jerusalem and Judea, out to uh, by the Jordan River somewhere. And, uh, and it says, and they were baptized by him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming, to his baptism, he said to them, Brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore bear fruits worthy of repentance. Do not think to say to yourselves, Well, we have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. And even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Now these are really tough words. Verse 11, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. 
and he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. There's some strong statements here by this fellow who's out in the wilderness. And, uh, you know, John is uh, 30, well, uh, in this text, he's somewhere between 30 and 30 and a half because he was six months ahead of Jesus. Jesus showed up uh, at the age of 30 to be baptized. So we're in that sort of context of that all about to happen. Uh, John was born six months before Jesus. And uh, it was typical that 30 years old seemed to be the age by which people could be accepted as any kind of spiritual or religious influence or leader. So I believe John waited until he was 30 before he started preaching this message, but we don't know for sure. It's just a guess. Jesus was 30, and so here's John out here preaching, and he's attracting people to him. Uh, the fact that he's in the wilderness is, is uh, something we're going to look at just for a bit. I think it's important for us to understand this. That, uh, and, and as we look at the text, there's a couple of things I want you to see about John that maybe just add a little bit of dimension to him. And it's over in Luke chapter 1 where we get a little more visual picture of John the Baptist that I think is just interesting. It's, it, it may not affect our lives deeply today, but I think it's important to see this. In John chapter 1, starting at verse 15, we have a, another description of him. Uh, the angel of God is giving a uh, sort of a prophecy about the birth of John the Baptist to, to, his, to the father, to Zacharias. And he's telling Zacharias in verse 14, You will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He also will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. That was never true of me. Uh, from my mother's womb, I was not filled with the Spirit. I was demon-possessed, I think, for a long time. Somewhere along the journey, I found Christ. But here's a fellow who was born filled with the Spirit from birth. Mom, how many of you would like to have a son who's filled with the Spirit at birth? I, I think that would have a great impact on your home. Uh, we have no record of John's family upbringing. We know his parents, but they were aged when he was born. I assume that they've already passed away. I don't know how long they actually raised him before they passed away, but this young man was taken care of by God. And it shows, again, just this, this little thing about the sovereignty of God in our lives, that God is absolutely in charge of our lives. And I wanted to say, uh, just by nature of this very one statement, that God cares about your kids. God knows your kids better than you do, and God will take care of them in his own divine will. And sometimes we just, as parents, panic and worry, uh, and we should be good parents. We should strive to do that. But on the other side, if you're praying according to the will of God, God will take care of your kids. He will do what He wants to do in His will. And if He wants to, He could actually fill your kids with the Spirit of God at a very early age. Uh, I, I always look back at my daughter Mandy, who I know was a, a, a true believer at a very young age, and she still has been true to that. And I've always sensed God's hand in her life for that, which is a great blessing to parents, obviously. 
uh, here you just see that he's doing this in his life. And so this young fellow who's now grown up and now he comes out and he starts preaching and his message is powerful. It's direct. It's confrontive. Uh, he's basically calling people to repent. And this is the first time really in, in uh, hundreds of years, really, that anyone has come and stood before God's people and actually called them, I would rather say confront them, confront them with the need for repentance. That was not a message from the temple. It was not a message from synagogues. Uh, those who uh, were the religious leaders of the land uh, were not saying those things. We're not dealing with that because most of them were uh, involved in their own sins and their own uh, pride and so on. And so very few uh, religious leaders were even thinking about calling anyone to repentance. And uh, so it was a vital, necessary message. Living by the law, uh, you might be able to obey certain laws, but repentance is all about your heart. And so you might say, well, I, I, I listen to God, I follow God, I, I carry a Bible, I go to church, I do this, I do that. But God always looks at your heart. That's where the issue is, and that's where you're right with Him or not. And that's why Paul, or that's why uh, in this case, he's being uh, calling people to repentance, and it's all about the issue of the heart. So we're seeing that in this text. Uh, once uh, this uh, began, I wanted us to see the breakdown here of how this... Uh, person who's come with this message, how it's preparing people for this transition of finding Christ, and what he calls them to do and how that processes. And I think that there's some applications to our life this morning. And the first thing that we see is in verses 1 through 3 is here's John who's uh, in the wilderness, and he drew people to the wilderness as we saw this. I, I think that there's a, a necessity, and I think that's why God designed it this way. God had to get people out of their comfort zone. He had to draw people out of their uh, daily routines. And so uh, here's John the Baptist who uh, was uh, determined by prophecy that he would be in the wilderness, a voice in the wilderness. And yet we see from the text that many were drawn to him uh, by the nature of what he was saying and where he was. And people had to get out of Jerusalem, had to get out of uh, the, uh, away from the temple mindset, away from the synagogues in the area. And they had to travel uh, up the Jordan to go and find this voice that's calling out. And there's something about just getting away from, from life and, and enabling ourselves to hear uh, sometimes the, the, the message of God because there's so many things that bombard our hearts and our minds that take us away from Him. And even today, I, I mean, even this morning, maybe, I don't know, maybe you're listening to the radio on the way here. Sometimes I'll turn the radio on when I'm, I only have 10 minutes to get here and I turn the radio on. And sometimes it's just more annoying than it is anything else. It's just sometimes noise. And I turn it right back off. That, that's not going to help me this morning. That's not going to prepare my heart for worship. Uh, I, I'm a moody person. I'll turn on moody. I think I'm going to hear some nice music. And sometimes this music is just junky. And I, I, I can't handle that right now. I need to hear something more, more serious, more, uh, more attractive in, in a sense of, of worship. And so I'll sometimes just turn it off and sing to myself on the way here, which that's what I do. But getting away from, from life, when we had our kids in the house, our grandkids, all that, you know, uh, a week ago, and it was, just, it was craziness in our house, and it's, it's like camp, you know, for a week. And you got four little kids running all over the place. Our toys are everywhere. you got to actually always look where you're walking, or you're going to have a sore foot because you're going to step on something. So you're just like, you know, sort of maneuvering through the house, and you try to find a little quiet spot to sit and maybe have devotions or just, you know. And then you know, those little kids, they, they go to bed late, and they get up early. What is it about that? I mean, why do they have to get up at 6 o'clock in the morning? Can't they sleep till at least 8 o'clock? 
And so you're, you're trying to just read, and, and you, you, you know some little eyes are staring at you. And you look around. <laughs> what are you doing out of bed? <laughs> you know, go back to bed. <laughs> go find a toy. Leave me alone. Somehow, uh, uh, you need quiet time. You, we need time away. And so I, even here on this, on this morning, we, we worship God. We try to prepare our hearts. But obviously, we need this sort of moment together to sort of just pull our minds to the Word of God. And, and uh, here these people are coming, and they're being drawn by, okay, yeah, he, this guy is a strange person. Let's take a look and see what he's wearing. He's got a strange diet. But most of all, John's commanding voice and his message that is spirit-filled is calling people, and this might have been a spectacle to somebody, but it became a really a supernatural, a, a life-changing event for many different people. But he needed to be heard. I, I, I asked this morning that you would, uh, I don't know what's going through your mind, but I know there's a, could be a hundred things going through our minds, and I just want to ask you to set those things aside this morning and just hear God's Word, okay? Just set it aside, just for a few minutes. John drew people to the wilderness. The second thing happens in verses 2 and 3. John called people to repentance, where we read here. That was his main message. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent. Repent. And uh, as I said, you know, no one else was saying that message. So people were hearing this message for the first time. Uh, people could go, uh, by the way, it was very actually kind of common in the first century especially. People could go to... Uh, uh, near the temple, and there would be a pool where they could go, and they could actually go in and wash themselves. It was a ceremonial pool designed to uh, sort of, uh, again, just wash the sins off your body. It was sort of a symbolic thing, and you could do that. You'd have to put money in, and you'd have to pay money to do that, and you could ceremonially have a ceremonial cleansing kind of thing over your body, and that was a common thing to do. But that had nothing to do with repentance, it had nothing to do with, you know, really casting your whole life before God. It was, oh, I did this one thing. I, I feel like I need to cleanse myself of that. And it was sort of symbolic. But that's not what this is all about. So these people know that there's cleansing ceremonies. But, no, this is a thing called baptism. And it was unique for John to be doing this. And uh, obviously, as the people came out, it says that so many came. I, I, I find that so interesting. In verses 5 through 6, you have... Jerusalem, it says, all Judea, all the region around Jordan went out to him and were baptized by him in the, in the Jordan, confessing their sins. You have this huge sway of people that are suddenly, you know, coming out of the city, coming out of the rural towns and all heading toward where John was baptizing in the Jordan and confessing their sins. This was a huge event. Uh, we have that record of, of Peter in Acts 2 where he gives this big message and 3,000 people get saved. And, well, here we are in this text, and this is out in the, out in the boonies. This is way out north. And uh, just one guy giving a message, and you have all these people thronging out there, and they're all confessing sins. It was a fantastic event taking place. Here's the deal. Here's why this was happening. Because people were thirsty and hungry. People were starving. Uh, people were uh, being religious, but they didn't have a heart transformation. Uh, you can come to church and come to church and come to church and have uh, all kinds of uh, you know input that you receive from what you get from church and from uh, uh, scripture reading and singing and all the stuff that we do. But you have to have this sense of something happening in your heart that changes your whole heart. A classic example, my daughter-in-law, Kathleen, she's a sick girl all the time. She's got a 
couple of different diseases going on. And uh, when my son uh, married her, we hardly knew her. Uh, but uh, once, once that took place, uh, she was spending a lot of time with my daughter. And uh, she came from a Catholic background. And uh, Mandy, of course, is on the worship team at our church and highly involved in women's ministries and so on. And uh, Mandy uh, sort of took Kathleen on to uh, just sort of see where she's at spiritually, what she's thinking. And uh, Kathleen and Philip had went up to visit where my son-in-law is a preacher, and they went to that church. And during the worship time, Kathleen was saying to my daughter, for the first time in my whole life, I was sitting in church, in a different church than a Catholic church, but I was sitting there and something happened, but I can't tell you what it was. And Mandy said, well, you know, it's, it's emotional, it's uh, good music, worship time, it's, it's, it feels good, and maybe that's what it was. No, it wasn't that. No, it was something, it was something deeper than that. I, I can't even tell you what it was, but I, I feel like I'm a whole new person, and I don't even know why. So Mandy took her home that day, shared the gospel with her, and Kathleen gave her life to Christ. And then got baptized. It doesn't mean that life's perfect now, but what it does mean is that she's found, she was able to hear. She was able to hear something that was able to affect her life, and it caused her to realize, she said, I felt, she said, quote, I felt so dirty while I was sitting there. And what she was talking about was that she watched saints singing songs, looking up to Jesus, some with their hands raised, and you know, people just uh, caught up in worship. She was comparing herself to what she was seeing, and she said, I'm dirty. I, I, I can't do that. But something's wrong in my life. And th- this whole thing was stirring, and she was crying. And so you know, Mandy being able to just open her up to the Word of God and say, God's calling you to himself. And as she realized it, and you can be saved, and you can have your life changed, and you can have your sins forgiven. And what a wonderful blessing if you let that happen to you. And, of course, that did. And so that's a wonderful story. But what about someone in this room even today? You, you come to church and have it all and still not have that sense of the inner change in your life. I know some of you, I, I know many of you well, and I know that some of you have struggles in your heart about your faith. And I just want to say, you know, whether you're in the faith or not, there's this internal desire that wants to repent, wants to unload on God, wants to confess our sins and have this relationship. And that's the call and draw of the Holy Spirit calling you to do that. And so when John was saying, uh, repent uh, uh, for the kingdom of God is at hand, he he was stirring in that heart people who realized they were not clean before God. And so that's what was happening. Repentance, by the way, especially during this time, repentance, as wonderful as it is, and people confessing sins, guess what? During this time in the Word of God, that was not enough to get you into heaven. You say, well, I, I, they were repenting. They were confessing their sins. Yes. But guess what? Uh, that there's something that had to happen next, which we're going to talk about, which was that still the payment for sin had not been paid yet. And so this was all uh, repenting and confessing sins, looking forward to what is going to happen that's going to make this transaction real and genuine and, and effective. We come to verse 7 in our text, and it just says here that uh, John was baptizing, and it says, When he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, Brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? 
And as he addresses them, it's interesting as he warns, well, he doesn't really warn them. He just basically says, I know your, your motives for why you're here. And he addresses this issue, and this is a concerning issue just in the, in the context of what I'm talking about. Because even with Kathleen, you can feel uh, in your heart that you need to do something, or you need to pray, or you need to have your sins forgiven. And you can feel emotional with God. And that's, that's very important for all of us to have a sense of that feeling. But there's something else happening that we have to be very careful of. And sometimes people rush into uh, thinking that they have a relationship with Jesus because it, it feels good. Or there's, like I say, an emotional kind of call and, and you uh, want to confess sins maybe and so on. And all that kind of takes place and we might repent of our sins even. But what happens is that we sort of rush into a relationship where we think this is going to fix my life. And there's a very huge concern about that. And so even here, John the Baptist is sort of scorning these guys who are coming to this baptism because I think he's reading between the lines that these guys are coming not so much to affirm what John's doing, but just in case they need to do something else to their lives, they might be sort of interested in getting baptized. And he sort of sort of hammers them with this. Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? What makes you think that getting baptized is going to do anything for you guys because your heart's not right? Is what he's saying. If we're not concerned with uh, knowing the one who saves us, having a relationship with him, all these people who are repenting are all going to go through a time period, and Jesus is just about to show up, and he's going to then call all them to himself, and he's going to go to the cross eventually here in three years. He's going to die on the cross, and he's going to finalize this whole payment of sin so that all those who have confessed their sins and have repented, that will become effective when Jesus Christ finally pays the price for sin. But it hasn't happened yet. And repentance is very important here, but we have to make sure we understand this is a transition time in this text. And I, I just want to warn us that here in our, in our context today, I have to have a relationship with Christ. I have to understand that He died for me. He saved me by His death on, on Calvary's cross. He, he was raised from the dead. I put my faith in that fact. And I, yes, I repent of my sin. Yes, I choose to follow Him. But He's paid for all my sin on that cross one time. And that's the unique thing about this. And we're going to see that that's going to be uh, introduced in just a moment. But right now he's dealing with all those coming with different motives and so on. And he's certainly uh, uh, warning these guys who are coming with wrong motives. You know, who, who told you about this? What do you think you're going to gain from this? When we were in, uh, in Sri Lanka, I was, uh, and I'm preparing my mind to go back. Uh, James and I, we uh, came across, of course, uh, many uh, different Hindu uh, Buddhist, uh, and we'll see those again, I'm sure. And uh, I, I can hardly take the music. I can hardly take the, the, some of the sounds that they make when they worship. It's, it's eerie. Uh, if you've ever heard a call to worship by a Muslim uh, imam, it's a, it's a weird sound. It's, it just sounds kind of uh, almost frightening, but it's, it's very demonic in a sense when you understand what they represent. Uh, and we'll hear that. Uh, but, you know, there's nothing more demonic than people who uh, are, are religious but don't have Christ in their life. I think that's just about the worst. That's somebody who's playing the game, 
who knows the game, who knows the word. Remember we talked about last week, the, uh, all the, uh, as, as the wise men came into Jerusalem and the uh, reaction to that. And you had the, the guys who knew the word of God, the scribes and the uh, uh, religious leaders who uh, were asked by Herod, uh, where's this Jesus going to be? Where's this person going to be born, this king of the Jews? And they said in Bethlehem, they quoted the verse. They, they knew the whole deal and then they did nothing but uh, almost go through a demonstration of avoiding and, and uh, removing themselves from the news that, that maybe the king was being born. So you have that in the past. And so these are the kind of guys who are coming to this baptism. They're, they're watching, they're checking out John. They're, they're coming out, out of uh, a cynical attitude, perhaps. Some of them are thinking, uh, you know, if this guy's for real, if he's actually the fulfillment of Isaiah chapter 40, then I suppose we should get baptized with everybody else. So maybe that's what's happening. So he sees those motives and he knows they don't really have a heart that cares about the relationship with God. And yet, I think that there are a lot of folks today who go to church with the very same thing. And that's always concerning. Don't let yourself fall into the trap of getting saved, getting not saved, getting saved, getting not saved. You know, this whole mindset that salvation doesn't, doesn't have an eternal effect in our life. And when you come with wrong motives, that's what you end up doing, playing a game with God. So in verse 11, notice in verse 11 here, after he uh, rebukes them, he comes back and says, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. This is what I'm doing. I'm baptizing you with water unto repentance. He's saying, again, repentance is necessary. Uh, Baptism is a symbol here of genuine repentance. But it's all leading toward the one to come. And he's going to introduce that in this text. So he says, I I baptize you with water unto repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I. And he begins to uh, sort of introduce this, uh, this next step in this completion of a transition. This one who would come, this one who's coming that we look forward to is the one who will pay the final price. Uh, he's the one who will complete this whole issue of, uh, of allowing people's repentance to be uh, sort of firmed up and eternalized by his very spirit moving into our lives. And so he says here, I indeed baptize with water unto repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. So he's certainly uh, elevating the one coming. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. They never heard that before. The Holy Spirit and fire. And you've got to wonder, what does that mean? I, uh, as I was trying to catch this for myself and understand it, I, uh, I was first of all just thinking about different people, and I, I wanted to read this to you. It's, uh, it's the account of Matthew, and it's Luke's account of Matthew getting, uh, uh, being called to follow Jesus. And it's very interesting because I think what happened in Matthew's heart has happened in many of your hearts, and I hope does happen in someone's heart even today. In, Ma- in Luke chapter 5, I want to read this to you because it's, it's very, very important. Jesus is calling people to himself. This is just, you know, a short time later. Jesus comes. He's going to call disciples to follow him. He's preaching uh, near the uh, Sea of Galilee. He's, he's uh, in, in his moving from place to place. Uh, anybody who was near the uh, fishing village of Capernaum or the Sea of Galilee would have heard many of his messages and so we have Matthew the tax collector who evidently had a little tax shelter uh, right, near the, uh, right near the water's edge, actually, of the Sea of Galilee. 
It says, after these things he went out, as verse 27, and he saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, follow me. And as I've preached this many times, I've said that this is such an unusual event because there's no dialogue. There's no long, lengthy explanation of what that means. He just says, follow me. And the very next verse, this Levi left all, it says, rose up and followed him. He left his, uh, his vocation. Uh, he left his own finances and money Whatever was there that he was collecting, handed it off to his next in line guy, I'm sure. Uh, but he just you know, walked away from his very job and uh, climbed over the, well, however he came out of that little shelter. And he's following Jesus immediately. And of course, the next, the next verse we see he's following him. And then it says, Levi gave him a great feast in his own house because tax collectors were not poor. And there were a great number of tax collectors and others who sat down with them and and that, so you have this whole scenario going on. And I, I was thinking to myself that something happened in the heart of this Levi. His name will be changed to Matthew later. But there's something happened in his heart. The, the, the moment that, it, and I, I've always believed that because of where he was located, he would have heard uh, the sermon from Jesus when he sat in the boat on the edge of the water and you know, his, uh, his little shack was not far from that, from that point. He would have heard perhaps many sermons from Jesus. He would have watched him touching people's lives. He would have seen him heal a few people. He, he had enough information that this guy was sitting there burning inside to follow Jesus. I mean, he was longing and, and waiting and hoping, but while going through all of that, he's probably also thinking, I'm kind of a worthless guy because everybody thinks tax collectors are the lowest of the low. So I'm kind of worthless to the community around me, and I'm sure this holy man uh, would really see me as completely worthless. And so he's just sitting there in that tax booth, obviously from the text, waiting to be called waiting to be uh, uh, identified and, and uh, to have Jesus speak to him. Well, I mean, what an honor that would be if he would do that. I, I don't think I'm worthy enough to go talk to him. That, that's certainly how he was thinking. And, and as Jesus comes along, Jesus knows the heart. Jesus walks up to him and says, uh, he didn't say, uh, put your faith in me and be saved. Or he, he didn't say, uh, you, know, uh, uh, you know, John the Baptist is out there baptizing and, uh, and now he's not. But, you know, uh, did you ever uh, follow through and get baptized? He, did, he didn't go through any of that stuff to try to figure out anything about Levi. He just said, Levi, follow me. And this Levi just comes right out of that booth and follows Jesus, gives his life to him, leaves everything behind to follow Jesus Christ, and no turning back, no turning back. That's fire. So when it talks about uh, the one who comes after me will come, uh, you know, baptizing with the Holy Spirit and with fire, that certainly is absolutely true, that if nothing else, uh, that fire comment to me represents a life change. It represents something that you can't explain that happens on the inside of your life and completely changes you. Anybody here give a testimony that you've been completely changed and you know it this morning? Absolutely. It's the, it's the living Spirit of God that touches our lives and changes us. It's not something we do on our own. I, I never decided one day to just, you know, I'm just going to be a follower of Jesus. No, God had to find me and touch me. Uh, he had to enable me to understand, and He called me to Himself. And that, 
moment in my life I knew that that's what I wanted to do. It's, it's the Holy Spirit working, but this idea of fire is, is sort of a descriptive of, of the uh, ignition of, of real life in our, in our hearts. Something that they did not understand. Something they weren't even experiencing until they're about to meet Jesus Christ. He says he'll baptize you with the Holy Spirit. No one here can be saved if the Holy Spirit doesn't live in you. So Paul told us that, that the uh, identifier that I'm, I belong to Jesus is his spirit in me. His spirit will bear witness with my spirit that I am his, right? Out of Romans chapter 8. So all of this is so important to us that there's this one coming who, yeah, you can, you can confess your sins and repent. And that's, that's something you need to do and you should do. And so John's instructing them. But there's one coming eventually who's going to then uh, baptize you, not just with water, but he's going to baptize you completely uh, with a completely new spirit in your life. His Holy Spirit. Uh, Peter preached on the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, and uh, we know that just before he did that, that there was this uh, sign that God gave that the Holy Spirit came upon his followers, his disciples. And the word says they, the Spirit hovered over them like cloven tongues of fire. It was kind of a descriptive. And they received the Holy Spirit. And there's this sort of empowerment that took place. And maybe that's what this word means, fire. But it still means life change. It means ignition of, of new life in our, in our hearts. And I can tell you that I've had his fire in my heart. Have you? Have you experienced that? Have you experienced a, you can't explain it, but you just know that your life has been changed, transformed on the inside because you met Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? I hope so. Verse 12, back in our text, as we continue here, just, uh, it says that his, uh, his winnowing fan is in his hand. And he will thoroughly clean out the threshing floor. This, this is not, these are not images that we understand. Okay, his winnowing fan. You have to be a third world farmer to understand probably what this is. But the, uh, a winnowing fan was this way of separating wheat from chaff. A farmer with grain from the, the husks and so on. And they would use that this sort of a device that would shake the one from the other. So he has this winnowing fan in his hand. Uh, it's, he's separating uh, the, the real uh, the real uh, fruit, if you will, from those who are not genuine. It says he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor. So uh, there's this uh, sweeping away of the uh, residue that uh, is the worthless residue is swept away and he cleans the floor. You have this idea and it says he will gather his wheat, the, this is the good grain, into the barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. This is what the one coming after me is going to do. My job is simply to call you to repentance. The one who's coming after me, this one called Jesus, who's going to come after me, he's going to uh, do an effective change in people's lives by his Holy Spirit. Uh, he's going to have a fire that's going to transform and change. But he's also going to have another fire, which is an unquenchable fire, that's going to be that which will judge those who refuse him, reject him, want nothing to do with him. That's how powerful he is. And today we... Uh, we talk about Jesus in these terms. We kind of describe him as this nice prophet that came and showed us how to live. And he called us to love each other. And I was watching CNN the other night and they were interviewing somebody, a gay pastor, actually. And the gay pastor was going on about 
the problem with those who are conservative Christians is that they don't understand that, uh, you know, Jesus is this loving one who's called us all to accept each other, love each other. And he was quoting verses sort of out of context and they're all agreeing with this fellow. And I, I was sitting there watching this and listening and thinking, oh, my goodness, he's much like the ones that that John the Baptist referred to here in this text. They, you, you come and you say, I want to repent. I want to ask forgiveness. But then you define what sins you feel like are, are, are sins and which sins are really not sins. And so you're repenting of what you choose to repent of, and you're not repenting of the whole counsel of God on your life. And so we separate those things. And I think sometimes we even do that ourselves. Well, well, that sin wasn't that bad. This sin wasn't that bad. Well, that one, there's a bad one. I'll, I'll deal with that one. And so I think we categorize sin. And certainly those who are truly not walking with God, but acting like they are, or uh, you know, wearing the garb of religion, but they're really not giving their hearts to Jesus, He's just warning us, and he warns in this text those very ones who came to uh, sort of uh, confront him in this context. His winnowing fan, uh, his threshing floor, uh, he's separating the, the one grain from the, from the, uh, uh, from the husk, and, the, and, and as he does that, the, the residue that falls down. Uh, we had hay up here all during the holiday season. I thought it was straw all this time. It was hay. Hmm. Uh, I haven't been in a farm in a long time. And uh, it was dry. And uh, I probably am guessing because uh, I came in here this week to get rid of the bales. And as I was looking at the mess up here, I probably think that maybe some kids were up here having a heyday on the hay. Because we had some material down for the residue to fall, but the whole platform was just like covered in this hay. Ah, you know, so I'm trying to clean it up, and you, the vacuum doesn't want to pick it up. So you got to get a broom and actually sweep the floor here to try to get that stuff up. And then you get a shop vac and suck it up. And so I'm doing all that this week, and I'm not wanting you to feel sorry for me, but it brought to my mind this very idea that the, all the residue, the bales are still intact. They're still they're still tied. They're they're still good. So we put I put them out in the back, and they actually got sold yesterday to somebody for a few dollars. So the bales were good, but the residue was everywhere. And it's that residue that, uh, that becomes, in, in this picture, that which is worthless, that which is to do nothing but sweep up and throw away. It, it's an image that I, I want to warn us that as we think about the, uh, just the Word of God and what John is saying, that this one who's coming, this gentle Jesus who is loving and kind and good and gracious and forgiving, but we also forget he's also the mighty judge who's going to come and judge sin and so on. So he's going to die for sin, he's going to be a sacrifice for sin, but he's also going to be the judge of sin. And in this picture, those who are coming with wrong motives, John is trying to have them understand that's what he's going to do. This is the difference. And so, spirit with fire in your life that will change your life, that will, that will sort of seal the deal of your desi- desire to repent of sins and follow Jesus Christ. That, that's, what's, that's the one thing over here. And then the other side is all those who, who come, but they come with all different motives. They really don't want to follow Jesus so much as... Maybe they just want you know something good from him for the moment, and and or maybe they're they're cynical, cynic, cynical of him to begin with, and they just come with this sort of a camouflage kind of idea of being religious, whatever it might be. But he's just saying they're going to be separated. 
you guys who are coming and wanting to uh, check me out and have all these ideas. Right now, with your heart, you're going to be burn up as chaff with unquenchable fire. Would you rather be changed on the inside with the Holy Spirit and fire that changes your life, gives you a purpose, calls you into this walk with Jesus Christ that completely transforms you, that makes you a new creature in Christ, that makes you want to follow him? Or Would you rather have that in your life, or would you rather face the day when you say, well, I, don't, I didn't want Jesus, I don't want, really want anything to do with him, and so what happens is you're going to face one day the alternative. There's only two choices, following Jesus or facing judgment. There's only two choices. It makes me weep inside for those who don't get it, for those who ignore it, reject it, don't want to hear it. And so many churches today choose not to talk about hell because it's not popular. It doesn't feel good. It, it, it drives a wedge between how we actually believe and, and even those that we're with that might believe differently than we do. I want to just uh, remind us of this. I'm thinking about, about getting on a plane in a few weeks and flying away. I did this the last time. I'll do it again. As my wife and I will sit down to the computer and I will try to show her how to pay the bills again. And uh, we'll go through all the uh, passwords and PIN numbers and all that nonsense that we have, multiple different layers of that. And who can remember? And uh, if I can remember, I'll try to show her what they are and write them down again. And I'll try to uh, pay all the bills, tie all the knots, uh, you know, get all the insurances in place and all the stuff that you want to do when you know you're going to be gone. And you might never come back. Quite frankly, I know people travel every day, but I, we put ourselves in the hands of machines and mechanics and really God. But the point is that I don't know if I'm going to be here tomorrow. And so every time I prepare to leave or go away from you, I leave with a heavy heart. I don't leave with a, this, I can't wait to get out of town stuff. I, I leave with a heavy heart. When I go to Canada, I leave with a heavy heart. You know why? Because somebody in this church is not going to go to heaven. Somebody in our sphere of influence is going to miss the point of what this word's all about. Somebody here is going to hear the word, uh, quote a verse or two, and still not go to heaven. And that should concern us. It should cause us to, in the joy of our life, in the laughs and the fun, there should be a balance of sometimes weeping, sometimes crying for those that we know that aren't saved. And uh, my challenge to us is that, first things first, we must understand that, yes, I need to repent. I need to have my sins forgiven. Jesus Christ is the one who came to do that. The, the handoff from John the Baptist to those who were there, this is the one you're going to end up following. He's going to completely change you and transform you. Uh, you. You need to have a repentant heart, but then you also need to surrender to him and let him have your life and follow him. Next week we're going to talk about what it means to follow Jesus. I, I pray that somehow you'll just uh, have a desire to have your sins forgiven. That's the first thing. Crowds came to, to just have their sins forgiven. Uh, today I don't know if anybody thinks like that. But I, I, I know that even in my own life I still sin and I still can't stand and not have them forgiven. Are, are you like that? When I mess up and when I fail, I want my sins forgiven right now. 
I can't. I don't want to wait. I, I want to go to him. I, I want to bow before him and say, Lord, I've messed up. I've failed you again. I know you've already paid the price. You've already forgiven me, but I still just want that relationship right with you. Are you like that? I hope so. Lord, as we uh, just process your word today, uh, I want to thank you for how you called people to yourself, even through a John the Baptist. And as the people were realizing they needed to repent, and that's the way to come to you with a repentant heart, with a heart that's stirred about our own sin, our own ugliness, that we would have that desire to just have those sins forgiven. Thank you that you died for us one time, paid the price that our sins could be forgiven and cleansed. And Lord, I, I pray that someone here today would would realize that that's the need in their life. To uh, turn themselves to you, trust you, yield to you, cry out to you, confess sin to you. Knowing that you have forgiven, knowing in your righteousness you love us and you have paid that price for us, but we come to you and we place ourselves in trust to you. I ask that you'll call someone to yourself to to save them from sin and from eternal darkness and judgment and give their lives to you and find that fire from the Spirit of God that changes their life. Uh, Thank you for this church and for God's people. Thank you for the blessing of worshiping together today. Thank you for your word that reminds us of how we are to live and to follow you. We give praise to Jesus. Uh, Lord, heal those who are sick today. Uh, Show yourself powerful in those who are doubting you today. Encourage the heart that's weary. Lord, lift up the faint-hearted. We thank you that you are the great God who knows all things, created all things, and has created us and called us to yourself because you want a relationship with us. We give you praise for that and thank you in Christ's precious name. And all his people said.